Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our old title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Honey and Coat. I'm Itamar. And I'm Sarit. And this is the second installment of our special smoke series. Our Grillhouse Honey and Smoke has its third year anniversary and we had not one, not two, but three parties. And this is the second one. We had the incredible Ben Chapman from Kiln uh, coming to cook Thai-inspired grills for us. It was just an incredible lunch and we're going to be taking you behind the scenes a bit into our kitchen we're going to be cooking a dish on the grill we're going to cook some prawns and octopus we're going to serve them with a bean stew it's like a really comforting fun dish rich sweet meat with the smoke is always the one that gets the compliment doesn't it and now i'm getting hungry should we go and cook it let's cook and we're going to cook it on fire, but at home, if you want to try and recreate this, you can use just a griddle pan. If you hear that, that background hum, this is what we hear all the time all in the our time. kitchen. Yeah. And the clunking is our chefs trying to get ready for service around yeah, us while we're just kind of getting of in the way. Everyone say hi. Hi. Just sound a little night, bit more yeah, lively. Yeah. <laughs> I, think they, I think they might get quite angry soon. For now, they're yeah. sounding quite positive. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to grill some octopus and we're going to grill some the octopus we slow cook it in advance in its own juices so it's really really concentrated in flavor but completely meltingly soft and then what it needs is just a little bit of charring on the grill to get that smoke to get a little bit of kind of crunch on the outside a little kind of you know the burnt bits that are so delicious when they just char on the ends of the tentacles and they go all crispy and smoky that's the best part using frozen octopus is completely fine it actually makes a really nice tender octopus don't worry about it that's probably the one you can find unless you're somewhere fishing in the sea so first on the grill is the octopus and I put it tentacle what are they called the little nubbles Suckers. Suckers. Suckers facing up first because I do want them to char, but I want the other part to to warm up first and then I'm going to flip them. And at the same time, I'm going to put the prawns and really when you're grilling prawns, you want to grill them shell on, head on ideally. First of all, because you want to suck all the juices out of the head because it's delicious and shell on because otherwise the heat can be too severe uh, for the prawns and they would really dry out. So cooking in the shell is the best way and just directly hot grill. We're just going to wait for fire to do its magic. 
I think Ben Chapman is is one of the kind of the most admired people in in London kind of restaurant scene. He has Kiln, which is kind of the the consensus. All the chefs love it. When people ask us, "Oh, where do you eat?" It's always on the list. It's on so many people's list. I know we have uh, friends in Seattle who's this is their first place that they go to because after us. Yeah, well, <laughs> they say this is what they say to us. Yeah. But it's it's uh, it's not just you know chef and industry. It's a well loved restaurant in in London. Something magical is happening there. They cook on these Thai grills, Thai ovens. Yeah, it's like a ceramic Thai barbecue that it looks like just a piece of pipe, but actually you have like ferocious fire. And then all I mean, their the food. place is all about fire, isn't yeah. it? Like you cannot avoid it when you walk in. Like when you leave there, your hair will smell. Of smoke and fish sauce, but you. But in be, a good way. You'll be so happy. Yeah. So it's the. And, and actually, we were using this as an excuse because Ben is kind of quite a quiet chef. As chefs go, he keeps to himself. He hasn't done a lot of hoo ha. Not a lot of you know. We haven't seen a book from him yet, Ben. Please, let's get a book from you. And we just thought, what an excellent way to just get him into our kitchen because then he will have to talk to us. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get to peek into some of the secrets of that kitchen. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, the prawns, they're kind of sizzling away. So you know it's time to turn them. Once they've kind of started to turn into a, a shiny pink on the bottom side, that's the time to flip them and then to cook them on the other side. And we're going to do the same with our octopus. We're just going to flip him as well. He's got nice char marks on that white part. And we're going to flip him onto the sucker side and get those suckers crisped up. So on the side here, I'm just reheating these beans that we cooked before. The beans have been slow cooked. So two types of beans cooked in separate pots, sadly, because if you cook them together, they're not going to cook at the same time. They're quite different sizes. There's giant ones and small ones. But we cover them with a whole load of uh, water, boil them, strain it off, put them back on with just enough water to cover. Loads of thyme and bay leaf and some tomato and garlic and then a nice thick layer of olive oil on top. And we just let them slow, slow braise until they are meltingly soft. And they're so beautiful. Yeah, well, this is why they say treat the bean like a queen. Mostly vegans say that, but it's, it's true for all of us. Can you believe it's been three years? It's like all the cliches that you say, oh, has it been only three years? And oh, you has say, it been three years? And has it been yeah. three years already? Because it's still, st hey, it's still the... Hey, get my prawns oh, off yeah. the grill. Because we're the craziest people in existence. We opened just the two of us in a kitchen. This is a 90-seater restaurant. And in our minds, we thought, yeah, sure. it's fine. We'll do it. Three years on, you come, you have how many people work here? Well, there's, there's a lot there's of people work here. There's four of them today here. for and dinner uh, service. But there's been another eight earlier on, making bread and making salads and prepping pickles and washing up and making cakes. And then you think to the days, like even just before we opened, when it was just like an empty room and a brand new kitchen, we didn't know what it's going to be like. Still don't seem to know what any day is going to bring yeah, us. Yeah, that's no two days are the same. <laughs> I'm going to add one more thing to this dish just to like really zing it up. And this is just like a little salsa of tomatoes and onions chopped, seasoned with a bit of um, vinegar and salt. And this is just to kind of zing everything up because we have the richness of the smoke and of the stew and then the kind of zingy tomatoes and vinegar really work nicely. Yeah, you always need something something fresh. The three staples of Israeli cooking is something burnt, something wet and something fresh. Did you did you know that? Is it? 
I just think something delicious, something more delicious, and then something to bring it all together. <laughs> all right, so a couple of spoons of that, and that's it, ready to go. I think this dish would really appeal to Ben. Well, it might not be spicy enough for him because we kind of keep our spice yeah, turned down. And he likes a bit of heat, but. Yeah, you definitely want to get your fingers in there. Get a little bit you're, messy. You're talking, there. and I'm just going to take yeah. some. I'm just going to go in for that prawn. Just the tail. It's my favorite bit. We had such a great time talking to Ben. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we did. Try without food in mouth. Something's going on. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Honey and Co. Podcasts, where we meet chefs, writers, eaters, drinkers, thinkers, all setting the world on fire. Our grill house, Honey and Smoke, turned three this autumn, so we kicked off the celebration last week with a special guest, Olia Hercules. This week, we're joined by a man so obsessed by open fire that he once had to ask during a demonstration in a professional kitchen how to turn on the range. Unbelievable. Ben Chapman, ladies and Yay. gentlemen, big hands. <laughs> so did you manage to, to turn the range on? No, it had to be turned on for me. Which was, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, a range is like a, a large sort of solid top that's often, it's basically in every professional kitchen other than ones that I, I've worked in, uh, or, or ones I've worked in a, a live fire. We did uh, an event cooking at a restaurant called The Raby Hunt, which I'd all recommend you go to. It's fantastic if you're in the north of England. Did they just get their second Michelin? Their second Michelin star, yeah. yeah. So quite a serious brigade, quite a serious setup, and I sort of immediately felt extremely out of my depth as soon as I got there. When I started to cook out the curry, Chef James asked the entire brigade to turn around and watch me do it because they'd never seen the curry cooked out from scratch before. So no pressure. And I, yeah, <laughs> I then spent... Um, 10 minutes sort of awkwardly looking at the angle of this thing and then had to turn around and ask like how do you turn it on (laughs) (laughs) tell me so you have two restaurants that cook kind of Thai food kiln and smoking goat Mm -hmm. but you're using a lot of British produce in cooking that food as well tell us a bit about the setup of the of the restaurants kiln perhaps slightly more than smoking goat is food which we've uh, enjoyed eating traveling in Thailand through the prism of what we can grow here. There was a point in summer where almost all of the vegetables and things that could be grown here were being grown here. Middle of January, there'll be things that we need to import. I see Kiln as a a project in that sense where we're trying to learn how to combine these two ideas, which is nice because it's this never-ending project. Talking of fire, Kiln is... Has anyone been to Kiln? Yeah. Yeah, so you, you know, when you go in, the fire is quite an evident thing. But tell us, anyway, describe the kind of setup. So we use um, a, a range of towels, which is um, very simple barbecue, which is used all across Asia. It can be used as a grill. can be used as a wok burner. It's the standard piece of equipment in every sort of home kitchen in Southeast Asia. We use those because it means that we can have maybe... 10 different heat source sections set at different levels. And everything's fired with charcoal, with wood? We use a compressed, um, very sort of industrial style of charcoal. Um, But yeah, we want a sort of clean, hot heat. um, And that's what those barbecues are designed to run on. I think that's kind of the part of the magic of Kiln, 
it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you see these little kind of ceramic tubes with the flames running out and mm. the walks all over it. Can you tell us a bit about your story of becoming a chef? Because it wasn't your first, like you didn't come out of mm. school and go into, yeah, into yeah. chefing. I mean, I think chef's possibly stretching the word, stretching the words. Okay. <laughs> into the world of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I um, wanted to open essentially a little bar in Soho and I was interested in Thai food. I found out about a, a site which um, was essentially closed because it had been owned by um, Mad Frankie Fraser, who someone told me once was the enforcer for the Richardson crew, which was a big sort of London gangster. The police then shut it down on New Year's Eve, which was brilliant, and it then sort of stayed shut for a couple of years and no one really wanted to touch it. I didn't know any of this. Um, so it's better not to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I said to the landlord, what's happening with this place? And he said, oh, do you want it? No one wants it. So I walked in there and I could just see what became the first smoking goat. And it was kind of quite obvious that we needed to have smoky Thai food. I never really considered a different option. So then I just started to learn to cook that. Um, and then um, we sort of assembled a little team. So uh, Seb Holmes, who was head chef at the time, he taught me a huge amount of the basics of Thai food. Uh, he was at the Begging Bowl, working under Jane Alty. Yeah, which is really an, an amazing restaurant in Peckham. Yeah. Which everyone should go to if they can get themselves to Peckham, which is not yeah. easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, and I live in Stockwell. Mm. I live in Stockwell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to get to Peckham, I'm just saying. Commute stories. Commute stories is boring. Okay, we can, we can do commute stories now. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting. Go to the Begging Bowl if you can. Yeah. So, in the sort of run-up to that, I was um, commie chefing at a, at a pub in, in um, northeast London and was practicing some of the dishes and sort of giving them to the local guys that had been in there for decades and yeah. seeing what they said. That was really how I learned to cook. You cook kind of mostly northern Thai dishes? Did you go there? Did you, mm. did you travel, taste? Yeah, um, that was a big part of learning what we needed to get to say. I think about a year in was kind of a light bulb moment in terms of how I was going to get a connection between the Thai food I was interested in and the ingredients that we can grow here. And that was um, eating in Inisan with a family who are rice farmers um, who were very lovely and taught us a lot of the dishes there. It wasn't really until I'd experienced them cooking, you know, take ginger from the ground, kaffir leaf from the tree, take some chilies, I haven't got red chilies, we use green ones, or, you know, and just adjusting and, and reacting to, to the ingredients that are available, reacting to the land around them, that I really understood what we were trying to do. And that really, that light bulb moment became kiln. It's kind of almost the reverse of how we are following a recipe or the reverse mm. of how we cook yeah. in the West. You know, we seek out the ingredient, it needs to be this size, it needs to be that. And, yeah. you know, we, we kind of try and make everything conform to like, the set of instructions that we have. Yeah, getting a layer of confidence that you need, a layer of familiarity with the dishes and the recipes so that you understand when somebody's changing something, why they're altering it. And then almost going from like a really back to basics approach and just looking at like the simplest curry paste and asking why is each one of these ingredients in, in there. In there. Yeah. Because you just get used to following the recipe. Yeah. But um, you know, why is there galangal in a red curry paste? Well, it's because there's a lot of guppy, which is a very pungent shrimp paste. So you want to cleanse the guppy. Is the 
mistranslation of the Thai phrase. Um, so anything that's got kind of herbal, medicinal sort of flavors like lemongrass, galangal, wild ginger, ginger, these things are in equal proportion and you pound them together to cancel the stinkiness but retain the umami. Yeah. After shrimp paste. Mm. And then once you understand kind of why these things happen, that's when you can adapt yeah. it to the ingredients that you get here. Exactly that, exactly, yeah. And we now have um, a cooking setup down in, in um, Cornwall on one of the farms that's just doing Thai stuff for us now. So we, we go down and we'll, um, we'll cook based on what's available there. And really those are like the most informative moments, I think, yeah. in the year. We're just uh, continuing a conversation that we had earlier in the kitchen. I think we went through quite a similar process here in Honey and Smoke that we, we started with a very clear notion of wanting to cook very traditional Middle Eastern dishes. Mm. And then with the ingredients that we got here, we said we have to react to it. And then mm. we understand, okay, why do we use this lamb and not this one? Why do we use... It's, yeah. I, I just find it really, really interesting that it's kind of very different cuisines, but very similar yeah. process. But a lot of your cooking kind of you're making the curries up as you go rather than having kind of like what you imagine in kind of a big Indian restaurant where you would have like a massive kind of pot of curry that just gets dished out. So how do you work with your chefs in terms of, of consistency of getting the same dishes? Because there must be quite a variation there. I don't think that Kiln is a consistent restaurant. That's not really something. <laughs> um, um, but I think that's the thing that you've referred to is something we talk about a huge amount. Um, that sort of brightness and energy of flavor. If you make up a sauce beforehand and put it, you know, if you make it in a pan and then put it in a fridge, it's going to taste of a pan, but it's also going to taste of a fridge. And f for that reason, you know, a huge amount of the dishes are um, cooked out from scratch to order. It's not, I mean, Chef Meady downstairs who's done all the hard work today and is, you know, a brilliantly disciplined, detailed chef has really focused on how we can sort of have this type of consistency. But to me, that's never really been the aim. Um, I hope he's not listening to this. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> he will be, though. We all have yeah. things yeah. we hide from yeah. our head chefs. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, yeah, but you'd think about maybe consistency of like energy or brightness. Yeah. Rather than is it precisely seasoned the same way every time? No, I don't think kiln is. Yeah. No, but I think when 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 something is is so fresh and so freshly prepared, mm. maybe the seasoning can go a little bit in yeah. various directions, but it will be delicious because yeah. because it's fresh. Yeah. Because well, there's that saying, you know, you, you can't retoast toast. Like yeah. it has a moment of deliciousness, and after that point, you know, it's lost its essence. So. It's got to go at that moment. You, yeah. know, you can't. You can't sort of put it in the fridge and bring it back later. It doesn't. Well, doesn't saying that, you <laughs> yeah. will have toast later. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to yeah. toast it later. That's true. Yeah. We're having toast. We're having yeah. quite a mixed menu actually. We're mm. we're kind of starting with stuff that I wouldn't mm. consider specifically Thai, but you Not do a lot of food Not that, all, that yeah. isn't so. Yeah. Mm. Tell us a bit about where we're starting, which isn't, and where we're continuing, which is. Yeah. When you guys got in contact about um, about doing this, I was. Um, I was in, on holiday in, in Liguria, uh, coast of Italy. We would just grill every day, and usually the type of grilling that I like to do on my own would be very simple things like the fig dish. You know, so you just grill a fig until it's slightly jammy and just drape lardo over it. We haven't got that today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but disappoint everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the figs now. But I, I challenge anybody to, you know, you could have million step recipes it's not going to be better than that no and uh, well if the figs are good <laughs> yeah so yeah. you have to have the green figs really yeah um but uh, that's the type of stuff that we cook on holiday and i have lots of friends visiting while we were over there so you know the first few dishes are just dishes that, I, that were in front of me at the time and i was quite i'm quite interested in that style of grilling like um we think about the range of different types of flavors we can get from a grill so which is what the second dish is about, the um, liver in sage. So you can get kind of smokiness, even though you don't have to smoke it in an American-style confined area. So you can get the fragrance of smoke, which is different to that kind of second combustion smoke. Uh, we can get char. We can also get char from a wok, two different, two different types of char. And also those kind of different stages of the Maillard reactions. So when protein turns into, into uh, sugar, you get that sort of burnt crisp on the outside. That's uh, what people like in kitchens. Yeah, like the um, crust on, <laughs> yeah. on yeah. like the crust on roast chicken or chops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or chops yeah. or steaks. That's so, yeah. to me. It's quite interesting that you can manipulate all of those things with the simplest grill. That you know, just by grilling something in a way that you might not even think about. You know, you might just put it on the grill, yeah. and then you sometimes you take it off. You're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we've been talking about kind of balancing the flavors of, of grill and different ingredients. Mm. Talk about the jungle curry. You know, when you sent us the menu, I was like, what? What is this? Because it's jungle curry, which I think, you know, we can all think about from, you know, kind of the high street Thai restaurant. 
you'd have a jungle curry. But this is the one is with kippers, yeah. which is, yeah. Yeah. for me, the essence of kind of yeah. British, British breakfast. British yeah. breakfast, yeah. yeah, which is... This is a dish that I would, like, um, cook at home or cook for friends or cook a holiday. Jungle curry or gang pa, so pa being the Thai phrase that kind of refers to almost anything which is from those types of regions, which will be often more pungent, more spicy, more rural, less yeah. refined in some senses. So first thing to say is that Geng Pa can be like a wide variety of styles of curries, really. Um, what I think is really interesting about it is something which um, Chef Num, who's a chef from Isan in the northeast of Thailand, he came to cook with us at Kiln, very masterful chef, and he taught us a huge amount one of the things, he tasted our jungle curry, and he said that um, you need smoke in order to balance the seasoning, because it can't be spicy enough until you've got smoke in there. And at the moment, you know, the salt's kind of holding you back. So just the idea of using smoke as a seasoning, I thought it was really interesting. That's where the kippers come from, the smoked fish. Yeah, and then the way that that dish would be made, there's a couple of places I've had it done really well in Thailand, um, and they would be uh, smoked catfish. Yeah. But what is, obviously a kipper tastes different to a catfish, but what they have in similarity is that kind of condensed smoke, that double combustion smokes flavor. Almost like the difference between brisket and, and steak, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we want that, how would you describe it? That oily smoke. Yeah. That's oily but fragrant. So it's not a char flavor. Yeah. And we want that in order to sit Which between. Is, it's kind of, this is what you get from kippers, mm. mackerel. Mm. All this kind of really fatty. Yeah, things. we want that to, to sort of sit between um, the very sort of bright spices, the very sort of nitrogenous green matter that's in. That's, that's Sorry, what? Need a lot. Like jungle curries need a lot of nitrogen type things. So things like nettles or the um, herbs that you were tasting downstairs. Yeah, that is something that we might add into the paste if we feel that it doesn't have like, enough sort of nitrogen in it. Yeah. Is this like something you'd yeah. say in the kitchen? Oh, I need yeah. more nitrogen. I don't know. Yeah. You have to explain that to me more. Like, what do you mean yeah. by by nitrogen? It's kind of so. Like, there's plants which have a lot of nitrogen are things like like nettles. If you think of something that has that type of greenness, yeah, that almost um, like the vegetal, yes, kind yeah, of yeah, bordering on bitter flavor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what we need. We need the bitterness in order to, because otherwise we might use too much sugar, you know? Okay. Yeah, so, so if you want to make something taste sweet, you can either add sugar or you can add bitterness. And that will enhance mm. other sugars. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Another dish you're cooking is Egyptian inspired actually, but by Nido, the chef that's cooking for you guys downstairs. Mm. Does he come upstairs or is he downstairs? Because we were maybe going to get him to explain a bit about this, but do you get a lot of inspiration as well from people that are working with you? Or yeah. are you coming with a very clear idea of what you want? In the last year and a half, like my idea of what a, a good restaurant is has changed quite a bit. Working with people like me do, who he thinks of foods in terms of its relationship with people. So he starts explaining it. When I start to explain a dish, to the team, I'll start with where it's from, what the land is like, what's the terroir, is there sunshine, you know, is there humidity, so why would it taste like that, or, you know, um, that's that's my sort of thought path on it. Medes is um, one that's very focused on the, the human side, so he will say, when do we eat it, who's going to eat it, 
is it a Sunday dish? You know, in what type of moments do these dishes exist? Like it's interesting. I think like him. Yeah. My, my, this is, mm. you know, because we had this a lot when we were writing the book, mm. how do we think of food? And I always think about it about when yeah. do you eat something? Yeah. It's for this, it's for this, it's to share with friends, it's to kind of nibble on your own in the kitchen. Yeah. It's kind of like... Yeah. Anyway. Like frame it. Yeah. yeah. So to me, the kind of successful expression of a range of peoples of ideas is like more exciting to me in terms of what a restaurant can be. Midi's here now, so. Hey man. Tell us a bit about this mackerel dish we're gonna all eat later. That's the only dish I'm gonna take a whole fish and sit on the side because it's kind of my idea of heaven. We're very lucky to have incredible mackerel here in the, in the UK. My father is Egyptian and traditionally you'd use uh, grey mullet. And I just thought it would be like a nice way to use an incredible product that's British and have a little nod to my um, heritage. And so basically it's been marinating in uh, confit garlic, a little bit of cumin and some, some dry chili. And it will be covered in bran, which um, will form like a barrier between the, the high heat and the, the flesh of the fish. It will allow it to cook really, really slowly from the inside out. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. It will be with some pickles. So, yeah, uh, it's a dish that my childhood, whenever I used to visit Egypt, me and my aunt would go shopping, would go to the fishmongers, and then on the way to the vegetable market, she'd drop the fish off to the bakery. And the baker would then apply this mix and put it in the back of the oven. And then we'd circle back around after we've got our vegetables and pick it up. And I just love the fact that the community oven is still something that's like celebrated in in some cultures and I, yeah, it's just a special dish to me. What's a community oven? So basically, I think lots of cultures have them. I know in in uh, North Africa, in Morocco, you have your tagine, you go around, get your spices, get your, get your protein and you'd fill up your clay pot and then you take it to basically a baker or a community oven and he would sort of stick it in the back of the oven you go off, have your day, and you come back and you've got your meal ready for you. And I just thought it's a lovely sort of concept. Because a lot of people didn't have their own ovens or means to, to cook their food, so, mm. so yeah. This cool. is still, exi- still existing everywhere. We were just uh, in Turkey, uh, southern Turkey, the same way. You, people were bringing big trays of like uh, aubergine lamb. They have their name on the side of the tray. They write it in a sharpie. The baker puts it all in the oven and then they all come out and everyone just comes and collects their tray. It's their family tray. So it's lovely to have that kind of thing. Do you have any other like fire memories that you remember as a child? Is it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and my father and mother-in-law are Greek and they um, they barbecue every Sunday. So <laughs> I'm missing a barbecue right now. So yeah. <laughs> but um, bread baking, like a lot of bread baking, like, like I was saying with the with the mackerel dish, in Egypt, going back thousands of years, the, the baker was like a key part of a community. He wouldn't make the bread, he'd make the beer, you know, so it was, and it would be the community oven. So it was like, um, that's something really special to me and something special to my, that I remember from my childhood. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing for me, um, in the run-up to opening uh, Brat with, with Tomas, we were in, um, Getaria, which is a, a town just outside San Sebastian, where they, they specialize in, in grilling fish over charcoal. And the, the history comes from um, the fishermen would, would take little charcoal grills out to sea, and all they had was a fish. 
um, to then cook with. So they got really good at it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. um, this art of uh, how to extract all of the flavor from the fish uh, with very, very little charcoal, because you don't want a big fire on a boat. Why <laughs> <laughs> not? Yeah. Um, and so the idea there, and it's something that sort of stayed with me, is that actually a grill might have the least amount of intervention of flavor of any cooking style. If you cook a fish in a pan, you get that, it tastes like a hot pan. Whereas, um, I, I don't know if you've had the turbot at Brat or yeah, any of the fish there, or, or, the, or the, the way we cook at Kiln actually is the same, uh, similar. You know, it has no physical connection to anything. Yeah, you can cook in a very that. clean way. So if we just want an expression of red mullet, for me, the natural way to do that would be over a fire. Yeah. Which is kind of converse to how you know, you know, you think of like black and char and sparks and stuff. That's not really how I think about cooking over a fire. I think about the minimalism of it. Yeah, it's not it's not fashionable. It's just the way yeah. cooking has always been, except yeah. for the last fifty years or so. Yeah. Um, yeah, when we've had all these in betweens to, to help yeah. us cook better, but actually, yeah. if we go back to the original, the flavors then. And also, it it is a very clean way of cooking it's mm. no fuss and it yeah. is you know less so focused up. about yeah. Yeah, less washing <laughs> less up washing yeah. very big in our book yeah yeah amazing thank you so much for listening to our talk with ben chapman and for being a part of our three-year celebration here in honey and smoke we had such a terrific afternoon with ben it was so interesting and we learned so much from him the food that we had was sensational. It was so vibrant, so full of flavor, spicy that you have smoke coming out of your ears, smoky and delicious. Next week, we have Gil Miller coming to us from Dorset with some lamb. Not coming with the lamb. No. He is coming. Yeah. The lamb will be present. <laughs> there will be lamb. <laughs> we are so looking forward to talking to Gil. We've been fans of his ever since his first book came out and we're just so looking forward to talking to the guy and to cooking his food thanks for tuning in thanks for celebrating three years of honey and smoke with us ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.